My name is Shelly Zulsdorf. I am the student ministry director here at Marine Covenant Church, and it is uh, my joy to get to hang out with students every week. We have our Christmas party this week, and it's going to be so joyful and so fun. I'm really, really excited about that. I'm excited that we are talking about... um, Joy to the World, this song that we sing around Christmas time. And we're uh, talking about, yeah, the meaning of it and what it means. When I think of joy to the world, I think of Christmas time, I tend to think of Christmas traditions that we all participate in. Now, we all participate in very uh, unique Christmas traditions, I think. Um, Some of you, all of us have, I think, different ones or different variations of Christmas traditions. Like some of you, raise your hand if you are ones that get your Christmas tree right after Thanksgiving. Like Friday, you are there. Wow. Yes, that's amazing. I get mine a couple days later, and then I just decorated it this weekend. So that's two weeks later, I had a bear tree in my house. That's okay. That's just not my tradition to get it done right away. Um, Some of you might be doing the children's ministry advent bags. And maybe you have a day that you pick with your child and you walk through this incredible bag that the children's ministry team team has put together. And it allows you to sit with the Christmas story with your child, which is really sweet. And maybe some of you have advent calendars. Who has advent calendars in their house? Yes, so you have some advent calendars. And what I've noticed when I walk into other people's houses is they look really different for every person. Like some people have like, I think Katie Hill, you have this like structure that's an advent house. I don't, it's crazy. I've never seen anything like it. I'm a advent calendar chocolate person because you get a piece of chocolate every day. I'm all about that, counting down the days. Um, Maybe some of you have a certain place that you eat Christmas dinner at, or you have a time or a place or a way that you open your Christmas gifts as a family um, or with the people that you love. And regardless of what your tradition is, we all have unique ways that we anticipate and we celebrate Christmas, that we get ready to celebrate Jesus, but we have these fun ways that we do it in the process. In my family, my uh, favorite tradition that we have is our Christmas cookies. Now, every family, I feel like, has their specific Christmas cookie, and I have a very specific one. They're called pizzelles. I grew up in an Italian uh, family, and so this is our family Christmas cookie, and it is so good. Like, they, they are not what you make waffles out of. Like, the waffle cones, no. This is not the same. This is deliciousness in a a waffle kind of shape. Um, But this is our family tradition that we have, and our family is really, we love it so much that you will see many of us sit in in front of the TV with a stack of cookies, like huge stack, because you eat them like chips. They're just, you sit there and you can go through a stack within five minutes. They're so good. And one, and it's just for me, what I love more about this tradition and having this, these cookies every Christmas sit on the table is that it creates this joyful connection to my family and the story within my family and how they immigrated over here from Italy. And then they passed these recipes down to each generation. And to me, these cookies carry a story they carry our family story and what, we've, what they've walked through. And so when I received this recipe from my grandmother, it felt like the biggest blessing to me. I got to finally make them, and I didn't want to mess it up because it was so special. And that's what Christmas traditions are, is they connect us to something greater. They connect us to something bigger. And Christmas is really a meaningful season because it taps into something greater in our lives, the true and deep longings that we're looking for, the joy 
that we are wanting in our life. It's the joy that only a savior can bring. And so all the traditions that we do are really pointing to, man, we want this this true and lasting joy in our life that Jesus has come and brought. And so we are are going to look at uh, stanza three. I'm going to call it stanza three because of joy to the world, because if I say verse three, then I start getting into the scripture text, and I say this verse, it'll get confusing. So I'm going to say stanza three of joy to the world. Now, I'm really excited because stanza three is the one you almost hear and you don't hear in 99% of the joy to the world songs. This is the one that gets eliminated in most pop versions of joy to the world and even most modern worship songs songs within church, because When I talk to Michael, he goes, well, it doesn't really flow with modern uh, songs today. It's more of the hymn style. And so you don't really hear uh, this third stanza too often. I literally was like, no way. No, it's totally in there. And I like listened through all these songs, typed in Spotify, Joy to the World, walked through each one. I was like, oh, it's not there, except for a few. Like uh, I found it in Big Daddy Weave. Do you guys know who that is? Great, I don't, but he was there. I know, I got yelled at in the first service, like, you don't know who that is? Sorry. Um, George Strait covered the third stanza, so, and I know who that is because I'm a country girl. I love country music. But I think there's, when I look at this stanza and think, why is it eliminated? I think there's, um, it doesn't flow as well as the other three do. They're more like joy to the world and positive and happy. And this one tends to bring in a little bit more meat, a little bit more, Um, There's more to it. It's a little bit more challenging sometimes to sit with. And if you just want it to be a happy-go-lucky song, you have to sit with the hard things in this stanza. So I'm going to read it. Later, we're all going to sing it at the end. We're going to do it together because I don't sing. Um, But here's what Joy to the World third stanza says. It says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as far as the curse is found. You're kind of like, oh, that's why they, Carrie Underwood eliminated it. Um, Because it just doesn't feel as joyful and happy, but there is such good news in this stanza. There's so much we have to wrestle with with what's happening in our world. And when we think, okay, where did um, the author of this song pull, where did Isaac Watts pull this idea from? And we get it out of Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 is really in the beginning of our story with God when sin entered the world because Adam and Eve decided to turn their backs on God and eat from the one tree that he said, don't eat from. And in that disobedience, we have now sin and brokenness entered into our world because we turned our backs on God and thought, we could do this without you. I'm going to do this my way. And so what we see, and and we're not going to read Genesis 3 today, but I want to point this out, is because it's confusing in the joy to the world stanza where it says, as far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found, as far as the curse is found. And you can get really lost to think that humans are cursed, but that is not at all what Genesis says. And I need you to hear this first and foremost, is humans are not cursed. We are not cursed. There's only two things that God cursed in Genesis 3, and that was Satan, and that was the ground. Those are the only two things. But as humans, what we then experience, we experience sin and brokenness has entered this world. Life has become harder apart from God. We now experience all these difficulties, and we experience the consequences of sin and brokenness in our world. But I need you to hear that because I'm actually going to change it around and say, instead of say, as far as the curse is found, so we don't get confused, I'm going to say, as far as sin or brokenness is found, because that relates so deeply to us and our story 
with God. But this stanza, it, is, it doesn't just stop with like, curse, 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 as far as it's found, brokenness, sin, all this sin, sorrows, thorns, and fest, but it actually has hope. And that's what we're going to lean into this morning, is that there is hope that no more will this be our story, because Jesus is here to make his blessings flow. He's entering into every, all of the brokenness, all of the sin, and he is reversing that within our world. He's bringing good news to every part of that brokenness. As far as it is found, he is entering into that. And so I want, I want us to turn, get your Bibles out, because I want you to be ready to walk through. We're going to look at Isaiah 61 today. So get, if you have a Bible or there's one in the front, I want you to look it out, because we're going to be walking through just four verses of Isaiah 61, but we're going to walk through it pretty deeply. And so um, Isaiah 61 is what you're turning to. Uh, somewhere it's in the Old Testament, you'll find it. No problem using the table of contents, no shame. I always tell my middle schoolers that. Um, but when you think of Isaiah 61, you're like, well, that's not Luke 2, where the shepherds and the angels and Jesus is born. That's not this traditional um, Christmas text. But this text is a prophetic book in the Old Testament that is talking about and speaking of the coming Messiah. And any text in the Old Testament in the Old Testament, that's prophesying or foretelling the story, the coming of the Messiah is a Christmas message because it's anticipating when the Messiah, the Savior, would enter into the world. What we are longing for and hoping would be here. And so we're going to walk through this Isaiah 61 text because it, is, it relates so closely to what is being talked about in the third stanza of Joy to the World. So let's, hopefully you've gotten to Isaiah 61, and we're just going to read first. We're going to look at Verses 1 and then part of verse 3. Here's what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Right away, we just see in these first three verses of Isaiah 61 that there's good news written all over these verses because these, what's mentioned here are the blessings that Jesus is bringing. The blessings that he's bringing is what he is doing in the world. It's the restoration that he is bringing in the brokenness and sin that we see. And so what we see, when we read these verses, what we are seeing is Jesus' blessings are flowing as far as brokenness is found. As far as you see brokenness, that is where Jesus' blessings are entering in and what he is wanting to do. And his blessings is this restoration that's happening. And what's great about Isaiah 61 is, uh, actually, Isaiah 61, 1, is read by Jesus in Luke 4. And Jesus, when he begins his ministry in Luke 4, he reads this first part of Isaiah 61, and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Because he's saying, the Savior has come. The Savior has entered into the world. I am here. Jesus is saying, I am here, and I'm going to bring the blessings that are stated in this passage. I am here to bring that. And I'm going to go as far as there is brokenness. I am coming to there. I am entering into that place. And when we read this passage of Isaiah 61, we see that there is deep brokenness. 
super deep brokenness. We read in this passage, if you look through it, we see poverty, broken hearts, captives, prisoners, mourning, ashes, and despair. And this is what the joy to the world uh, stanza is referring to. As far as the brokenness is found, as far as all this is happening, that is where his blessings are going to enter in. And we know when we read that, those are just broad categories. But each of us can look at those different broad categories, broad categories, poverty, broken hearts, captives, prisoners, mourning, ashes, and despair. And we probably know specific stories, specific people, maybe our own stories, our own brokenness, where that has been true, where brokenness has just played a huge part in our lives and in our world. But we see in this that the Savior of the world is reversing all of this. He has come in to reverse all of these things that we experience, and that is his blessing. His blessing is restoration in our world. And what we see in this is we see it says that they go from this to that. He's been sent for this to that. And what we see is it says in these broken places, he's going to bring good news, healing, freedom, comfort, beauty, joy, and praise. And he's going to bring all of that. And sometimes that's hard for us to see, though, in our world. And I think one of the, mo- the bis- biggest examples of where it can be hard to see, God, where are you? What are you doing? If you, that brokenness feels so heavy is when I go down to the tenderloin. And if you've served with us when we've gone down there and served down in the tenderloin, it can be such a reminder, like really in your face, that, man, brokenness is real. Like there's no hiding down there with the brokenness that we can see. And sometimes it can feel impossible of like, I feel like it's, it's too far gone. I feel like it's too much. It feels impossible. It feels heavy. Like, what can God do here? But we're singing in this song. We're singing Jesus' blessing flows as far as brokenness is found. As far and as impossible as it feels, he's entering into those spaces. And so for me, when I, I think about the tenderloin, he is present there. He is there. And I think the greatest... Um, Understanding of that is Roger, who's started City Impact, he serves in the Tenderloin every single day. And I think, man, it could be easy to feel, to lose hope, to get despair, to go, God, what are you doing? And Roger, when we went down there, he never once criticized the location, the people, how it looked, or how it smelled. He never once said any of those. Instead, my, my husband, Ben, reminded me that he said, when he, he welcomed us there, he said, look at this beautiful day this beautiful city, this beautiful neighborhood. And I think he's able to say that because he is able to see that God is present here. No matter the mess, the chaos, God is working before we even got here because he loves the tenderloin. And he loves every one of his children that he is already at work in our lives, in our neighbor's lives, in our community. He has gone ahead of us. And so the places that may feel hopeless, that may feel like impossible, well, the presence of God is still near there because God deeply cares about all of his creation. But we live in this time where Jesus is at work, but it doesn't feel totally complete. It feels messy still. Like, we're like, God, but there's still brokenness. Like, you have entered the world, but we still see brokenness. And it's because we live in this time where it's happening. His work, his restoring is here and now and working, but it's not fully complete until he comes again. And it doesn't mean just because we don't see the full, complete picture that God is not at work. 
What it means is as far as you see that brokenness, God is in it. He is there and he is present. And he wants to bring his blessings there. And that's what's sweet at Christmas time is just, it's just the beginning of what he is doing. It's just the beginning because the Savior has come and he is bringing his blessings everywhere that he goes. And that is such good news that we celebrate at Christmas that he came here on earth. But I want to keep reading Isaiah 61 because we are not close to being done yet with what he's trying to say. Isaiah 61, we're going to read the second part of verse 3. It's like the second sentence there. It says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I love this. This is like a big transition that we just went from. We just went from he will do all these things. Jesus is going to do when he comes on this earth, when he is here with us, he's doing all of these things. He's restoring our world. And then in this, we have this transition in verse three that immediately goes from he will to they will be called. And I don't want you to miss this. I really want you to see this is that the the restoration that Jesus is doing is going to transform us. It is going to transform our lives. It's going to transform our identity. But here's the thing. It is out of nothing that we do. The verses before that didn't say, and they will do this, and they will do that. No, it's what he will do, and then we will be called. That, to me, is huge because it's, we are called oaks of righteousness. We are made right with God out of nothing that we, are, that we do. By simply being connected to Jesus and what he has done, how he has died on the cross, forgiven our sins, and we are now made right with God, we stand with God, we are now called oaks of righteousness. And so in Christ, we are divinely blessed because he is restoring the brokenness within our hearts through what he has done, not what we have done. And I think this to me is, is the big part of what a blessing is. A blessing, when I've, when I've been reading about it, is it's not about what you do. Not at all for us about what we do. That's affirmation. That's reward. Instead, a blessing is about who you are. Who you are. And so when Jesus brings his blessing, when he restores our hearts, he's transforming our identity and who we are with who he has always said that we were, but now we get to live into it in a new way. And that's good news to me. But I, I read this and we look at, they will be called oaks of righteousness based on what he has done. This is what we will be called. But then it says after that, it says, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so we see this new identity, this transformation that God is doing in our life has a purpose. Being called oaks of righteousness being called a child of God has a purpose, and it's allowing God to transform our identity. We then get to be the evidence of God's work in our world. We get to be that evidence of what he is doing, not us muscling that out. And when I was in um, Gettysburg, I was just there a couple weeks ago, and um, we walked around and took a tour, and one of the things our tour guide pointed out was something called witness trees. And I thought this was really powerful, really sweet, where these are trees that were clearly present during the Battle of Gettysburg. And they know that because they can find scars within them. They found bullets in uh, these trees. And so here these trees were just present at the battle. They, all they did was they were just evidence of that there was a battle here. 
And what's interesting is that our tour guide said that these trees provide the last living link to the battle. The last living link, because all the other soldiers have died, all the other people present in Gettysburg have died, but these trees are evidence that there was a battle here. And what I love is that these trees didn't do anything special to earn the title witness tree. They simply were present to the story that was unfolding. It's not like they were called hero trees and they fell over and like took out an enemy line. Like, no, they are witness trees. They are witness to the past, to the story, and to what was done. And that's like us. We didn't do anything to earn the title of righteousness. We are simply connected to the Savior of the world, and we get to provide the living link of the story of Jesus' redemptive work in this world. We get to be a witness of what he is doing in our lives and what he's doing in the world. And we get to provide that living link for people to see that God is moving. He is restoring. He's bringing his redemption to this world. But I want to end with one more verse because Isaiah didn't just stop there with, you will be called this and just your life will be a living example. Instead, he gives us an invitational charge. He gives us an invitation. Let's see, it says Isaiah 61 they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. When I first read this, I had tears in my eyes with the vivid language that is happening in this verse. We see it says, restore the places long devastated. It says, renew the cities devastated for generations. And to me, when I look at the joy to the world stanza, this is what he was talking about when he wrote this. And if this doesn't communicate what's happening in the third stanza, I don't know what else would. But it's saying that he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the brokenness is found, as far in as many generations that it's felt devastated. He is entering into there. He's bringing renewal there. And I think it's so powerful because we went from he's doing all these things. He has gone ahead. He's working in our world. Our identity is transformed. And now he says, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to participate with what I want to do in this world. I want the, the transformed identity that you have to then overflow into wanting to see renewal like I am doing. And I think it's so powerful for us to know that Jesus wants us to participate with him in his overflowing blessings, not because uh, we have earned it, but simply because we are connected to him and we are transformed by him, and now we get to overflow with that. And that, to me, is so good. And it's saying for, from the generations, that's a far away time. When I think of generations and generations, devastation has occurred. God says, I'm entering into there. And what I love is when places seem impossible, God says it's not. And I think sometimes Christmas movies, there's some good ones that can talk about this restoration piece where um, not all Christmas movies talk about this, but there's a lot of Christmas movies that have this like hope-filled joy at the end where someone has been restored that maybe was um, broken and hurt for a long, long time. And I think the greatest example is The Grinch because, I mean, he has the name The Grinch, which just to me like thinks someone that has been so curmudgeon-y or broken or, or just worn down by this world for so long that he's given the title the Grinch. And we know when you look at this story, for, de for generations, 
He's been devastated, and he has been, his relationship with Whoville has been broken. And to most people within the town, it feels lost. It's a lost cause. Forget him, just let it go. But for Cindy Lou, she still has hope that restoration is possible, that even as far as brokenness is found, there's still hope that redemption and renewal can come. And what I love is um, the 2018 version, the more newer version of The Grinch, which is this one. At the very end, The Grinch Stole Christmas. We all know that. Hopefully I didn't ruin it. The Grinch Stole Christmas. Then he returned all the gifts, right? And each story has a slightly different ending that goes towards um, inviting him to dinner. And then this one, uh, Cindy Lou comes over to The Grinch's house and says, I want to invite you over to my family dinner. And he was like, but I stole Christmas. She goes, I know but I tried to ruin your joy. I know. I, I tried to ruin everyone's Christmas. And she goes, I know. And I love at the end when he like walks through, but I did all these things. And she just says, I know, you're still invited. And he goes, but why? But why? Why do you still want to invite me? And she replied with, you've been alone long enough. You've been alone long enough. And to me, this is a clear picture of what Jesus' overflowing blessings look like. We participate in blessing others with what we have been given by God, by our transformed identities, not because of anything that they have done, not because of what they have done for us, that's reward, that's affirmation. No, we bless them because of how God sees them and how God wants to be a part of their story. And it doesn't always make sense in our world because we live in such an affirmation, reward world where we just give things so many times to people that's because, oh, they did this incredible thing. Let me write this to them or tell them that. It's harder to bless someone, to give someone something when they didn't deserve it, when they didn't do anything for it. But to me, when you bless someone in this way, I think it makes them open up to what God is doing because they go, but why? Why are you blessing me? I've done nothing. And I just think, man, what would it look like for us to bless people in such generous and extravagant ways? They didn't do anything to earn it, but it gets to be an opportunity for them to wonder why and to be open to God who's already at work in their life, for their eyes to be open to God who's moving in their life, to God who loves them so much that he came to this world to heal the brokenness as far as it is found. And he wants to meet each and every person in that. And it's not too far gone for him. And so we get to overflow with that and display that and allow that people to experience God's blessing, his restoration what he is wanting to bring into our world. And what's sweet when I look around this room is we have so many different people. And God has placed different people in each of your lives. He has you at a certain workplace, at certain schools, in certain neighborhoods, with certain families. And I don't think that's unintentional. I think God has placed you in these communities so that you can overflow with his blessings in this area. Because I'm not going to be able to be in some of your communities that you're at. You're not going to be in the same communities as your neighborhood. God has placed you in a unique place, in unique communities, around unique people that you get to bless so generously that they wonder, why? Why are you blessing me in this way? And so here's what we're going to do this morning. I want you guys to grab this card. So if you're in the front row, you might have to reach behind you. It's in your pocket. And I want everybody, it says, his blessings flow. 
I want everybody to grab that and grab a pen. And I want us to sit in prayer with God because I don't want it to be a forced thing. I want us to genuinely recognize and realize that we are participating and we are partnering with what God is already doing. He will enter into those spaces because he wants to redeem the world. But he allows us to participate with him. And that is so sweet that he allows us to do, to do that. And so here's what I want you to do. We're going to take a minute and I want you to spend time in prayer. I want you to spend time with God to pray and to ask this question, who is someone God is putting on your heart to share his blessings? Who is God putting on your heart? Because it gets to be someone totally different. I look around the room and we're in totally different circles and wouldn't it be incredible we each write a different name down that God is saying, I want you to participate with me in this person's life. I'm doing something cool in their life and you get to be a part of it. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what all of what I am doing in your life and in their life. And so we get to take a moment and I want you to sit and the first, as you're praying, just spend a quiet moment with God. And as you're praying, whatever name comes to your mind, I want you to write it down. I want you to write their name down um, and put that. And then I'll tell you what we're going to do next. So let's take a minute and um, have you guys spend some time in prayer with God. Hopefully you had a chance that a name came to mind that maybe God is wanting to put on your heart to be able to bless them. And here's what I want. You have this card, and I want you to... Um, today, put it somewhere where you can pray for this person every day. You can pray for this person. You can ask God, how are you working in their lives? God, show me. And even more, the a big prayer that I want to encourage you that's a little bit more challenging is to say, okay, God, how do you want me to partner with you in what you're doing in their life? How do you want me to physically bless them? Maybe they need a meal. Maybe they need friendship. Maybe they need to be invited over for a holiday dinner. Or maybe there's another need that they have that you can, end, you can come alongside and be able to provide for them. But I really want you to pray for God to inspire you with how he wants you to work. Because remember, he has gone ahead. And the person that you have written down, he is already at work in their lives. And we get to just simply partner with what he's already doing, the blessings that he's already doing. And so a prayer that I like to say is, God, show me how I can physically bless this person so that they may begin to see the joy of your blessings in their life. And I want us, whatever God inspires us to do, whatever he is telling us in our times of prayer, I want us to be obedient to that. I want us to try and go, okay, God, it may be scary, it may be challenging, it may be uncomfortable, but I'm going to do this knowing that you are with me, that you are already ahead of me, and you are already working in this person's life. It's like the, the children, we gave them two boxes, and they had to be a little bit obedient and generous to go, okay, I'm going to give one box to my parents, and I'm going to take the other to be able to give to a friend. That's what we get to do, is we get to go, okay, God, as you are showing me and leading me, I want to say yes to that and actually do that. And here's what's really sweet is when we do this, when we share God's blessings, how he's working in our life, and we come alongside others with what he's doing, we are participating in a family tradition that has been passed down from generation to generation. The story of God's redemption, what he's doing in this world, this is the tradition at Christmas and all through the year that we pass on generation to generation, and it brings great 
joy because a savior has come. He has entered into our world as far as brokenness is found, as messy as it is, he has come to bring restoration, renewal, healing, to bring us joy. And so that is what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate every day and we get to be a part of that. So let me pray for us and then we're gonna continue in worship. But I really wanna encourage you to take that name Put it in your pocket. Put it somewhere that you can pray and pray with God with how you can come alongside and bless this person with him. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are already at work in places that feel impossible, in places that feel too far broken. But as far as brokenness and sin is found, your blessings are entering in. They are flowing in and they are bringing healing and good news and joy and praise in places that don't make sense. And God, as we hold our cards today, Lord, I lift up every person in this room, every card that's written down, every name that's written down on the card, Lord. And I ask that you would inspire us with how we can bless every person that's written down, Lord, so that they may ask why and we may be able to share your joy and your hope that you are with them, you love them so much, and you will do whatever it takes for them to be restored in a relationship with you. So we trust you, Jesus. We know that you're with us and you're gonna give us strength in all of it. In your awesome and truly precious name, amen.